Okay, let's do this. Episode 23 or 24. Welcome to season... We're not We're not sure yet. Season 2 or 3, I don't know. Does season 3 start when I move to Norway? Uh, maybe. Uh, when Jamie finds a job. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not unemployed. I'm in study. Uh, sure, sure, buddy. Um, but yeah, welcome back, everybody. It's It's been uh, a while, for sure. It feels good to to restart um, yeah. this whole project, this hobby, this uh, this thing that rising is uh, with the tide has become, and yeah, I'm super excited, man. I've been back on track with preparing some more infographics and stuff, turning scientific papers into them, um, working on the Flemish far right project because I know a lot of people have been asking. Actually, that's our most asked for series. I was really surprised, um, but yeah, episode three is coming soon, so please hang on to your to your your socks uh, because they will be blown off and yeah um how's everything with you jamie good um yeah it's 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 basically the same as before just you know, <laughs> have my assignments um yeah trapped in my sort of little study cell until i graduate and i can be released back into the wild yeah yeah damn and i yeah uh, same ish here minus the study i finally moved back from costa rica um hopefully the documentary will be finished by september but i may have underestimated the amount of work the documentary takes <laughs> um let's just say that 80 gigabytes of data is hard to pour through uh it's, it's not easy <laughs> but well enough enough with the side projects let's come back to the the main event which is uh our podcasts or interviews and I know you've all been missing it as much as we have. Uh, and today we have a super special guest, uh, Isabel Axelson, activist and organizer for Fridays for Future Sweden. Thank you so much for joining us, Isabel. Hello, welcome. Hello, thanks welcome, for having welcome. me on. <laughs> Third time's the, the charm, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I have, I have to yeah. issue an official apology because it's it's really, it's we've been horrendous. Um, I mean, we, I, I, Jamie has had nothing to do with this, but... Yeah, Costa Rica was definitely not an easy time to record things. Um, but here we are, back at home and able to do this wonderful work. So how's how's everything been going lately? How, how's your summer? Uh, for me, my summer's been nice. Uh, a bit hectic in the beginning, but I've had a, a few days off now, so I'm feeling well-rested at least. So yeah. Nice. Uh, and you're <laughs> getting ready. Oh, yeah, thank you. It's uh, It's been... It's been, yes, <laughs> it, it has been. <laughs> Let's just say family time was uh, was long, but overdue as well. <laughs> New Jamie? I was just waiting for the sirens to go away. Um, it has been, uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. I'm in, you know, I'm in, I'm enjoying my studies. Um, it's, it is very uneventful, uh, I suppose, but, um, you know, at least summer's here. Uh, and sort of get out a bit, enjoy the nice weather. Yeah, I mean, I am looking forward to graduating, though. Yeah, 
Yeah. Isabel, you have you already started or are you starting uni? I, I can't remember. So I'm going to enter my third year of my bachelor's. Oh, wow. Okay. The end of August, the beginning <laughs> of September. Right. So congrats. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to in uh, November, I'm going to start writing my um, my thesis. Mm. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Even Good if it's luck. going to be a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Do you kind of know the topic already a little bit? or? Um, yeah, so because I'm trying to get to COP, uh, COP26 in Glasgow uh, in November, I'm hopefully going to be able to do my thesis on cop or do some kind of hey, same thing with jimmy and i we were just talking about how we wanted the other day about how it would be a wonderful idea to try and go oh yeah, yeah that's fantastic yeah i have been able to get a badge through the university to be able to go uh so hopefully mm. hopefully hopefully i'm allowed to do my <laughs> my uh, paper on it uh, and yeah. it will be possible to go i mean it still really depends on how the covid situation escalates yeah. and develops yeah. and stuff I mean, I guess, um, I don't know, the UK in general has been a little bit um, reticent, let's say, to, to accept reality at some parts of, of the COVID pandemic. But if, uh, I don't know how the batch situation will look for, for randomers like us, but we, at least if we do go, we can definitely uh, try and, and catch you outside the, the walls of the cup. Yeah, that's um, lovely. <laughs> So uh, maybe let's start with um, a little bit about yourself, because, you know, we we've been following uh, your stuff and, and really like appreciating what you've done in Sweden and Stockholm and abroad as well. But maybe some of our listeners don't know much about you. Would you care to maybe introduce yourself a little bit in your own words? OK, sure. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> hard to figure out where to start. So, um, yeah, my name is Blackson. I use she, her pronouns. I'm... 20 years old and I live and I've grown up in Stockholm, Sweden. I have an English accent because my mum's from England. Um, people ask me about that sometimes. Um, but yeah, um, I'm a climate activist here. I am currently a student at Stockholm University studying uh, human geography, which is really, really interesting. Um, what more? I really like reading books. I read a lot of books and I like listening to music and i really 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 miss concerts at the moment yeah. oh festivals too oh my god <laughs> Can't wait. i've actually never been to a festival really oh mm -hmm. wow then i mean what an experience it'll be when festivals open up again and everybody's f going full crazy it'll be it'll yeah. be absolutely amazing for you yeah i'm looking forward to it we'll see <laughs> so um so now that our our listeners can uh picture you a little bit better as who you are what you do um how did you actually start on this journey i guess because uh, you were part of kind of a pretty singular generation of students i think that can be said uh, who who really decided that you know it was time to actually get up and do something or at least show yourselves to the people in power and to the people at large that you know there is a group in society that actually is actively pushing young and pushing for for change not just kind of uh you know playing video games and reading comic books as the uh, older people might think of us yeah i mean it definitely changes from time to time when i tell how i got into climate activism because i'm not fully sure myself um i think a lot of it stems back mostly 
to when I was a child. I didn't watch a lot of TV at home. My parents uh, wanted me and my twin sister, Sophia, uh, to like, you know, play with each other and to learn and explore and stuff. So we only watched TV seldom. And often when we did, it was nature programs, you know, the narrated by David Attenborough programs and stuff. And I remember one of my first like things I really confrontated with how the humans are affected the environment and climate was the one of the behind the scenes episode of the Blue Planet 2001 series, um, which is from the year I was born. And it was about overfishing and how it's still going so bad. And that was in 2001. And when you look back at the program now, it's like, whoa, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look any different now. If anything, yeah. it's worse. Um, but I think that's what made me first like, you know, conscious that humans are doing something really bad to the environment and planet. And then, you know, as you get older, you learn more and more in school. And um, yeah, I didn't do a lot at first. It was most of a, wow, oh, this is a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I started doing when I was like 16, 15, 16, 17, I started becoming more activisty and um, you know, first it was individual change and like, you know, eating meat, not stopping to eat meat and not buying new clothes, um, those sort of things. And then I found out about the school strikes uh, for climate in late 2018 uh, with my friend, my best friend, Elle. And then we decided to go together and we did. <laughs> and I went one Friday and I never stopped going. <laughs> so yeah. that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds pretty much like uh i mean my own my own journey as well i can definitely relate to that and i think a lot of people will definitely be able to relate to that i mean it's it's kind of almost natural for our own instinct or first instinct to be like what how can i change like my own actions first and then you kind of slowly realize that i know there's a lot of things wrong with kind of even picturing that as uh, as change like it's yeah it's changed for yourself but in the end i don't know there's a lot of debate as to whether it actually achieves much and so you kind of start looking outwards right yeah definitely i think that's one of the things that i like talking about the most or not the most but a lot is how individual change versus systemic change or systematic change and that we do need a system change and that we can't just put it on to individuals to all become vegan or to do this or to do that because that's not a you universal truth and it's not just what will magically work um i just you know i remember like when i was in school and we would have these theme days where we'd learn about the climate and the environment and one of these things was like oh how fast or like how much pressure do you have on in the shower uh if you have it more than this pressure and this jug fills up in faster than this many seconds you should slow it down water or or you should boil water in kettles instead of on the stove because that takes less energy. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and it seems like those kind of things. And then you start there yeah. like, oh, I need to do all these things. It's all yeah. my fault because yeah. I take yeah. long showers, for example. And it's like, my, no. My sh- I shower exclusively at, at three jugs per minute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like, oh. And, you know, we need to get out of the system, like out of the thinking that, oh, it's all my fault. And into a, oh, wait we are born into a system that is fundamentally wrong and harming the planet and harming so many people. Um, and we need to get out of that. And it's not on you specifically to change all your habits when that is going against what everything else is telling you to do. So yeah, we need to change your habits, but slowly and the system needs to change before or in time to make it easier for people and affordable and accessible. <laughs> sure. I guess following from that, 
when you were, sort of, as you said, 15 or 16, becoming a bit more politically active, what was sort of the step after that when you, you know, when, when you started to actually organise Fridays for Future? How, how, was, how was that? How did that sort of process go through? I think it was different. It was very intense because I went from a period of time where I literally didn't do a lot. Um, well, I have autism. So for me, a normal day was go to school, come home from school, sleep get yeah. up and eat actually sleep you know nighttime sleep <laughs> and then go back to school uh and repeat uh so I didn't do a lot and then suddenly when I got active in Fridays of Future I started going on Fridays and then pretty quickly after that I got pulled into helping out and coordinating strikes and organizing and you know doing outreach internationally and all sorts um and that just really like turned my life a little bit upside down not in a bad way it just got intense and suddenly I had all this energy from out of nowhere yeah yeah <laughs> um which was really interesting I never ex really experienced that before I get or I guess it depends but that was really cool um and yeah I'm still kind of on that high that I am actually working a lot of course now it's a lot less intense than in 2019 2019 was <laughs> we had a lot to do then um but during the pandemic i really have been trying to slow down and to not overwork myself um and to realize you know where limits are um but yeah i've learned so much i mean all of it has been learned along the way when i first got active i hardly knew anything and now i think i know a fair amount <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I i think that's kind of the case for a lot of people who sort of get politically active is sort of in once you realize you can actually sort of organize people, you can you can sort of actually influence things that sort of imbues you with a really great purpose. Um, it can be very inspiring, at least I think so. Um, yeah. How, how has the sort of actual experience of um, organizing Fridays for Futures been? So like, you know, what, what are people's general responses? Like, how, how do you sort of I don't want to say recruit, but sort of, you know, get, get these um, <laughs> gatherings you, together. How do you do your propaganda, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, in general, the responses are always really nice. People think yeah. we're kind of cool. But a lot of time, that's where it stops. It's like, oh, yeah, you're really cool. I look up to you. And it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> you want to join us? Like, yeah, yeah really no, I've got... Okay, uh, cool. I've got... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... Um, so in general, people are always really supportive, like, oh, I think you're so cool. And generally, you know, from older people that just want to support us and won't get involved in the youth-led movement, really, which mm. makes total sense. Uh, so that's in general really nice. When it comes to recruiting people, <laughs> quote-unquote recruiting, um, I guess it really depends. Some people just find their way, because we have a recurring place where we actually do collect every week. You know, we sit in front of the parliament every week, besides when the COVID restrictions have been saying. They just come to you. So, people come to us. Uh, but lately we've also, I think, for the past six months, a little bit more than that, we've been working on um, introduction meetings uh, where we have, I and mean, this is nationwide, they're not only in Stockholm, uh, where we put out on social media, like, hey, we're having introduction meetings. If you are interested in getting involved in Fires Future in any capacity, join one of them and we'll tell you about the movement and how you can get involved and what you can do. Um, and that has been really nice. People have been wanting to join, but they haven't known how. And yeah, I think because also Fires Future has had quite a lot of uh, media attention, people mm -hmm. know about it, mm. uh, but they didn't realize it's something that they can become a part of. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So reaching out is something 
we're trying to get better at, but a lot of us are <laughs> neurodivergent. So <laughs> it's not always the easiest thing to know how to do um, to try and, you know, reach the people who are the norm uh, mm. and, you know, try to be attractive in that way. And even but just in general for a young group, it's not easy to know, like you guys are trying, you're, you guys are having to like figure out basically marketing <laughs> the like ideas of marketing on your own without any real like education in marketing or help in marketing so it's it's uh no props to you guys um i do want to ask very quickly this is not something i want to linger on too much because i i don't want to make it um uh, too negative or anything but uh, have you guys received m uh, much negativity through your work or like I wonder, because I know that, we, for example, with um, our Lancaster Uni uh, Extinction Rebellion group, we definitely received our share of backlash. And I can't imagine with such like a, a public position as yours and your groups compared to, especially compared to like ours, which is a, a university, like no one else really knew us. I can't imagine the proportion of it could take. So I'm just wondering if if there was any like negative backlash to you guys and how you guys dealt with it? Oh, I mean, yeah, definitely. I think that's also something that you have to kind of be prepared for when you become an activist or, you know, take up public space to, you know, bring forward something and push for something. Uh, obviously it's not great. Uh, in general, um, most of us have been able to handle it quite well. Uh, in general, you know, most of the hate comes from people who don't understand the climate crisis, uh, aren't very reasonable at all uh, so generally it's just like you know really uh, bad insults and it is usually quite easy to ignore or just laugh at uh, in general we laugh at them it's yeah, some of them can good. be really <laughs> hilarious like some of the emails we get are the funniest things like, they become like internal memes uh, <laughs> we will always like refer back to uh, I'm going to take you know, a beef meat and the people who know who know and <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just um yeah i mean a, a few times you know people come up to us at the strike and yell at us and try to argue uh doesn't happen that often um which is nice <laughs> but yeah it's not great when it does happen but yeah yeah, it, it's, yeah for sure it's generally okay yeah i I personally in my own experience i'd found that we received less like all of the more mean stuff let's say happened online like exclusively mm -hmm. almost online yeah, Twitter is not great. <laughs> Twitter is a hellhole. Let's just say right now. Um, but in person, I found that actually the people who I and I think what happens is the people who yell out, you know, insults and stuff um, online don't dare to do it in yeah. public. And the people who are actually like online kind of wanting to have proper conversations, but I don't know, for one reason or another, don't they then come up to at least they came up to us. In Lancaster when we were doing our Fridays um, strikes and like we had a ton of people actually coming up and trying to debate with us or not debate but have discussions you know mm. and and like I could see that they were much like most 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 of the time very genuine about wanting to understand our point of view um, and I, I think it's just sad that the internet has kind of allowed that kind of uh, negativity to to prosper in a sense but it, i'm super happy that you guys are able to to take it like champs and uh, <laughs> and yeah and kind of fight back uh against it um and in terms of uh, of uh, exposure and things uh one of the things that i thought was really really cool that you guys did was go to davos 
um it's it's uh, already a, <laughs> a fucking achievement i mean at at the at an age like ours to, to be able to go to a place like that how how was it what was your experience like like did you enjoy it <laughs> did you hate it <laughs> um wow okay so going to some place like you know the world economic forum it's always very very different <laughs> it's always not what you, i mean you can't i didn't have any expectations because i was like I, i have no idea what to expect and you get there and it's just like this really big con like you know i didn't like a comic mm. con or, or whatever but it's for like rich people <laughs> and rich con uh, yes basically and um I, don't know, i learned a lot that week uh about myself and about activism but also about how the climate crisis is treated in these circles um which you know i already kind of knew but it's like okay now it's in my face um yeah and it's always really interesting um i definitely wouldn't take back that I went there it was absolutely exhausting and because I went with my friends um Lukina from Switzerland uh, who I spent most of the time with and Greta and uh, Luisa uh it was yeah we had a lot of fun together and hopefully we were able to make some sort of difference I think being able to try and get into the system and spread some you know like I don't know really knowledge but facts and doubt into what they're doing yeah. is always nice even if our presence there maybe you know obviously doesn't have the impact that we want it to have yeah. in there but outwards maybe I don't know yeah but um yeah it was definitely weird <laughs> what what kind of things did you actually would you guys do did you just kind of attend the events or because I, I couldn't really figure out if um yeah find out if you guys actually like participated in the events as well so we both did both uh mm -hmm. so looking and i were on two panels while we were there um and we attended a bunch of different ones uh went to a few like i mean you talk to a lot of different people there's a lot of networking going on uh and then we went to the strike Uh, and I know many of the other youths and uh, I think Greta and Luisa also did a speech, uh, did the panels and Greta did a speech or two. Um, so, I mean, we went to a couple meetings as well with groups, but in general, it's, I don't know, it's not like a lot to do. It's mostly just like walking around and trying to find different people and trying to find different events <laughs> and make connections. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's quite stressful and there's a lot happening all the time uh there's a fair amount of media so we did a few interviews and stuff like that mm -hmm. um but mainly it was it was a lot of listening and a lot of talking <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, i guess like following from when we were talking about your sort of reception in the uh, earlier i wonder sort of in inside and sort of talking to people in this forum how you were received i guess given what, however Given, <laughs> it's okay. Keep given. going. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Just, just keep going. It's okay. I'm sure people will understand. It's not something we can control. Go for it. Yeah. All right. Um. So, like, uh, like, given especially your age and I don't know whatever sort of status they perceived you to have. Um. Yeah. So, so, what was the sort of sense you got in that regard? Um. I guess it was a lot of surprise. I think when I was there in early 2020, just to <laughs> explain, I was 19 then. Uh, Lucina, who I was with, she was 18. Um, 
and we were part of a cohort of more teenage quote-unquote change makers uh, and this was the first time they'd let in like a group of teenagers into the World Economic Forum. Ever? Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> as like officially. Um, so that was, so a lot of people were like, oh, this is like really cool. And they're like, oh, you're one of the teenagers. And it's like, yes, I'm one of the teenagers. Um, <laughs> and a lot of, I don't know, obviously people, I guess, who attend more regularly or are more established uh, and older, they thought it was very interesting. Um, and so many of them, you know, wanted to listen to what we had to say. And we got a lot of questioning and like, oh, but what about this then? But what about this then? Especially people working within like, you know, the energy industry. Um, it was interesting. The energy industry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so that was very interesting. But in general also, um, we're not very good at, you know, conforming to the dress codes. Um, <laughs> I was wearing my <laughs> I was wearing my red dungarees most of the time because that's <laughs> oh, comfortable and it's cold there. Uh, and you know most people are wearing suits and yeah. you know fancy clothes, uh, well I don't know business clothes, um, and that's just not really my thing. I did bring a blazer, but I didn't end up wearing it because it felt wrong to wear it. Um, yeah. But I was also like it worked kind of as an icebreaker. And people would be like, oh, what's, who are this? Uh, what's happening? Who are they? And they're like, ah, oh, they're the climate activists. <laughs> <laughs> and then either they would want to spark a conversation with us and, uh, or, you know, they'd just look at us weirdly. Um, but I think, <laughs> yeah, the reactions are very different depending on what we're doing. And in, to get around Davos, they had these electrical shuttles, they call them, but basically it was just glorified taxis. Um, where people would get in and you know you had some really interesting conversations in there because you mm. never knew who you would end up in and yeah. we ended up uh, once with someone that was like the editor-in-chief at a big Swiss newspaper and we had no idea who it was <laughs> and you know we're just talking and talking and then it's like oh okay oops <laughs> at some point um then all of this is off the record no it no it's not that kind of thing but it was like no 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 that kind of stuff just like talking in general about and then he found out who we were and he's like oh okay that's interesting here's a card in case you like we want to do interviews or something at some point uh nice. and once we were in the car i think with someone who was the head of like an energy company as well from mm. australia which was really interesting because earlier that day we'd been uh at one of the panels about the Australian forest fires because that's when you know the forest fires were absolutely huge um, in Australia uh, <laughs> and we were just kind of like oh because uh, the finance minister I lost his name now from Australia was there and he was talking about clean coal and all of these things and we're oh, just yeah. like ah uh, yeah <laughs> really Scott Morrison as well Ooh, yeah <laughs> but, uh, a lot of these things <laughs> I mean Lukina and I decided to film when we were there so we made vlogs uh, oh, that I put up on YouTube that are actually uh, mostly us just messing about. Um, oh, damn. I'm definitely going to look those up. That yeah, you should, great. because that really kind of shows what we were doing and what was happening, because we wanted to show like, hey, not a lot of climate activists can get here. And we want, you know, both for transparency reasons for within the movement for them, people to know what we were doing, but also mm -hmm. to be able to show like, hey, OK, this is what we were doing there. We're not, you know, trying to sell out into the system or any way. We yeah. just want to, you know, we just want to spread our message where the people who make the decisions are yeah of course and yeah i mean not a lot of people have watched them but yeah but i, I don't think you can be blamed for attending uh davos with the like intent that you guys had i mean um it's definitely not a gathering of the best people on the planet 
but it doesn't hurt to have some some good change makers uh, come in and, and ruffle some feathers like uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners probably have seen the clips for example of Rutger Bregman um, the historian talk about taxes at Davos and and upsetting a lot of people <laughs> but uh, yeah this year I heard Davos was uh, all about this idea of um, just to also give people an idea of what Davos is like this year their whole thing is called the great reset I think which is like uh, apparently a reset on capitalism which will make it ethical and good and perfect <laughs> which includes very little changes actually um, to anything so it's, it's perfect neoliberalism um i i just want to touch on some of the maybe more like um more like daily activities and stuff that you do um i i've seen on your instagram for example that you've been doing a lot of like uh cleanups like dives cleanups in the in the canal i really really appreciate that that's such a cool thing to do because i know i think everybody loves a good clean river or canal or lake like who wants to go past a water, uh, a body of water that's, you know, stinks, looks dirty and looks polluted. Like it's, it's just like a, a, a plus 10 vitality to your stats whenever you pass by a nice clean lake. So I appreciate that. How, how did you get involved in that? What is it like? Um, so Renamalaren, or which is what the organization is called, which means clean Malaren, and Malaren is the lake that Stockholm is in, essentially. Stockholm is basically built on islands in the lake called Malaren. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. My sister and my mum found them once when they were out for a walk just around Stockholm, and my sister's really into marine biology and diving and that kind of stuff. That's what she's studying at university, basically. And... Uh, yeah so she started going and then I tagged along and she does the actual scuba diving and finding all of the junk and the rubbish in the lake and I just stand at the side you know help pulling it out with ropes uh, it's a lot of fun actually it's you know kind of hard work sometimes um, but you never know what you're gonna get up I mean I kind of say like it's like fishing but like <laughs> more ethical and you never know what you're going to get and you always know that you're going to get something because there's always something down there that shouldn't be down there like a safe <laughs> yeah like, like a, a giant safe, safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we found on Monday earlier this week we found a giant safe uh, that had been down there for a while but unfortunately had been open so there wasn't anything cool in there so supposedly some someone stole it and yeah. emptied it or maybe the treasure was the dive and the friends that we made along the way <laughs> or maybe that yes yeah. <laughs> that's also great so yeah it's it's a lot of fun but the thing is uh one of the main things with it is that we're removing toxins from the water because a lot of stuff that mm. we're removing or trying to remove mostly is car batteries tires oh. and electrical scooters uh because electrical scooters yeah, so you know really? these electrical scooters that people can just like go around all over. Yeah, there's so many of them in Stockholm. And because oh, we're such a water-based city, yeah. a lot of them just end up in the water. People just think it's fun to chuck them in, uh, oh, which is a big problem because uh, releasing all of these chemicals into the water is not great because this is our drinking water as well. Uh, and oh, yeah. uh, it just ruins all the ecosystems, especially the old boat batteries, which have a lot of lead in them. And that's a neurotoxin. So we don't want that in the waters. And old tires, they release carcinogenic um, toxins, which is not nice either. So we focus on trying to get them out. 
Um, mm -hmm. There's lots of like funky rules about recycling tires that's not fun in Stockholm that they're working around, but they manage. Um, yeah, but the thing is what surprises most people. So the second thing that we try to do is like, you know, raise awareness for what's going on in our lakes. Uh, because in like, I don't know, the 60s, uh, Stockholm actually went out or Sweden on TV and had like ads like, oh, don't just throw your rubbish like floating in the water or, you know, on, this, on the beach or on the ground. Sink it down in a box. <laughs> just oh, throw it down no. and sink it down because what we can't, because then you can't see it and that's oh, not God. a great <laughs> so that's why we have a lot of old stuff in the water and since oh. then of course there's also been layered new stuff on top so there's just yeah. you know, layers and layers and layers yeah. of junk and rubbish in the lake <laughs> and you can't tell from the surface because it, it's such a big lake you can't really tell how polluted it is and it doesn't smell very much if you're in the city uh, or anything people like swimming in it as well yeah we swim a lot uh <laughs> I, I swim a lot in the lake as well i mean some areas i'm just kind of like yeah do i really want to but yeah. <laughs> um when it's hot like this summer you really do anyway um but a lot of people are so shocked when they walk past because you know when we pull things up there's like big piles of you know rusty bikes and batteries and tires mm. and it just it smells bad because you're taking it from the bottom of the lake mm. and it just looks kind of horrible but also really interesting yeah. so people you know stop and they're like did you just pull this out of the lake and we're like yeah <laughs> um, and we're like oh, i had no idea there was so much and so it really does help to make people aware mm -hmm. and then hopefully that spreads and then you know next time someone won't throw their can into the lake yeah. or they won't throw their boat battery overboard which people generally don't do anymore uh, yeah. and hopefully people will stop <laughs> pulling <laughs> putting electrical bikes i think they've uh, pulled out about 800 bikes uh, electrical scooters Whoa. at this oh. point um and you know many 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 tons of um batteries and just junk in general uh so yeah it's really cool uh so i have my I sister to thank so satisfying when you have your like your big haul at the end it's like this was all at the bottom of the lake now it's not yeah definitely it's it's addicting in a way because it feels like you're actually doing something and again you know that kind of goes against like the whole individual change thing but sometimes it just feels nice it's like an immediate do something yourself. for a change so, yeah, yeah. It, it just feels good to be physically doing something to help while you're waiting for the politicians to get their act together yeah, yeah. <laughs> and speaking speaking of this um you know there's there's like uh, a term i don't know if you're familiar with it but um that a lot of people throw around these days uh, armchair activism or slacktivism you know the, these kind of things how how do you feel about this term because from what i from what i can see a lot of people uh online a lot of especially like young people let's face it uh who are very who have very like online heavy presence are you know sharing very easily a lot of things like infographics and things like that um it's become easier than ever to do this to so just like in two clicks sometimes not even sometimes one click you literally have a, a whole like instance of information reposted onto an entirely other side of the internet and so like what we're seeing is just the at least what i'm seeing is that a lot of people seem to be satisfied kind of with like with just doing this right it, because it gives you a bit of dopamine and you're like oh yeah i'm, I'm I'm helping, I'm doing this, I'm like helping aware with awareness, you know, like awareness is, it's always talked about like, oh, we need to raise awareness, awareness. 
Um, and I guess it like, you know, no one can deny that awareness is good. Like it really does change perception of things for a lot of people. Like that's how we each shortly got into uh, environmental issues is through awareness, right? Before it, we wouldn't have been able to. But what do you think about um, kind of managing that like um, online activism stuff versus like physically kind of taking part in change let's say like for example the canal thing or like um you know pushing uh doing the fridays for futures strike that sort of stuff i think it really depends on the situation of who's doing it and what they're doing and i think a lot of activism is you know behind the scenes like most of what I do isn't visible to people. It isn't visible online. It isn't visible in the streets. It's, you know, writing emails and being active in chats and planning and organizing. Um, so I think if you're only spreading so-called awareness, maybe, you know, try to figure out what you can do with your awareness. Um, what can you do to actively help if you have the means uh, and the time and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you don't, then keep on spreading awareness. Uh, I think that's always a good thing. But if you do have the means to, you know, walk the talk or whatever, uh, do that. I think everyone's capacity in whatever capacity they have is appreciated. It just gets, I think, a little bit dangerous when people decide to, you know, police others online rather than actually mm -hmm. doing anything substantial. I think that's something that's um, been talked about a lot lately. Um, you know, just, you know, as you were saying, like, you know, clicking things and being like, oh, you should say this, you shouldn't say that, um, mm -hmm. rather than actually trying to do something. And I think I don't have a huge opinion on that because a lot of people see what I do as symbolic rather than, you know, active activism besides, you know, picking things out of the lake, like striking outside the parliament isn't actually doing anything for the climate or the environment it's well, I, don't know. I, pushing. I, wouldn't agree, I wouldn't agree with that statement but. well I mean maybe I mean for in the past it has been really effective but at the moment during the summer and during covid yeah. um politicians aren't in the parliament we're just you know sitting there and it, I mean for us it's like a routine and it's kind mm -hmm. of fun and but also it is hard work being outside for such a long time it's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of stimulation but basically and often chanting things as well and things like that like mm, we no? generally don't do that at all. oh you guys don't do okay i was, I was just <laughs> no, saying like at the big strikes and when you do things but we yeah. basically just stand there with us okay. all day which is nice <laughs> um <laughs> if there was a lot of chanting i think we wouldn't be able to stand the full six to seven hours oh right yeah um, fair. yeah fair. but that's fine uh, it really depends from city to city. A lot of people come and visit us uh, from other cities or countries to be like, oh, I want to strike in Stockholm. And then they come in, they're like, oh, what do we do? And we're just like, nothing. <laughs> and they're like, really? And we're like, yeah, I mean, we're here all day. It's not just like a couple hours where we can just like, you know, walk back and forwards and like, you know, shout. Mm. Uh, that gets really exhausting. Right, yeah. And then you have to plan that every week. And there's, yeah, I don't know. We can have discussions this way and use time. Yeah. But back to the topic, I think. Uh, of symbolic things so some people will think that's very symbolic rather than actually going out and doing things uh, to actively I don't know <laughs> stop things from happening or make things happen um, so I guess it really depends where your definition of what performative activism is uh, mm -hmm. and if what you're good at is spreading awareness online and helping to educate other people and you know using 
online social media stuff, then I think go for it. That's really needed. We need to reach people outside of the, the filter bubble of the climate movement. We need to yeah. get out of it. Um, but we also need the people who are working behind the scenes and aren't seen. We also need the people who are on the streets uh, and not good at social media. Um, so yeah, I try to find the balance between all of that of spreading knowledge, but also actively doing something myself without <laughs> overworking myself and doing things that aren't okay. So, yeah. I don't know if that made a lot of sense, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, it, it did, it did. <laughs> How do you find the situation to be in, in Sweden, particularly? Like, do you, actually have you guys? Um, I think you have spoken to a couple of members of parliament, though, or a little bit mm. of the government. So, we had earlier this summer, uh, several of us had a meeting with the prime minister. Um, that's a member of parliament, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a member of parliament. Uh, and, you know, sometimes members of parliament do come out to the strike and talk to us. Uh, some of them when they have to walk past us like you know look the other way and completely ignore us mm. um, Ooh, which is always exciting okay. um, yeah. <laughs> I think you can guess that that's uh, the one of them from the you know the far right yeah um, <laughs> but uh, in general politicians are quite happy to talk to us here uh, we just want to be careful that they don't end up using us for marketing reasons mm. um, because because I mean there's a lot of photographs of you know party leaders coming to our strikes and be like hi what's that Friday's future strike and we're like where are you though <laughs> um so yeah I mean there's a lot of greenwashing going on but we really do want to talk to them and lately we've been more willing to talk to parliament parliamentarians and just politicians in general but in the beginning we're just kind of like mm, how do we do that in a way what that will just I... be gaining for them yeah but what kind of stuff do you actually propose to them like do you do have you have you kind of talked among yourselves as to you know what kind of concrete proposals you would want what kind of like policies you'd want to push for that sort of thing or is it more in the same um same line of thought as you know groups like extinction rebellion is where it's just kind of um pushing the government to talk about it more rather than concrete proposals mm. So Fridays for Future doesn't really have any concrete proposals or demands either. So we're more of the whole, like, you know, treat the crisis as a crisis it is, uh, listen to the best United Science and, you know, stick to the Paris Agreement and the 1.5 degree, you know, global mm -hmm. heating. Um, so that's kind of what we stick to when we have calls with politicians. They're like, oh, yeah, it was so good. And we're like, yeah, but I listen to the science. And of course, we, you know, adapt it depending on who we're talking to. So we'll have like calls beforehand and meetings and planning. Um, I think with the prime minister, a lot of it was, uh, you know, treat it as a crisis, actually listen to the science. And he really likes talking about the industry and like steel production. Sweden's having this whole thing of fossil fuel free steel production. Steel. Oh, yeah. So, um, that's interesting. And that also cause takes a lot, a lot of energy. And it's like, okay, where does the energy come from? What's also you're getting mm -hmm. the energy from? And it's like, there's so many different routes you can go through routes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot to talk about, but in general, what our main message is like, Hey, listen to the science, actually do what's right. Um, don't fall for the lobbyists. It's not about profit. It's about, you know, actually creating a planet that is livable, uh, both, you know, trying to alleviate, you know, the issues that are happening right now to people across the world, but also for the future uh, mm -hmm. that will hit the people 
living right here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, sure. And I, I, I guess this is a, a more broad question, but I, I suppose that with you and your cohort, especially as sort of young figures of uh, young environmental activist figures, like what do you think sort of the broader cultural response to uh, you guys as sort of figures for this movement is? And I, I wonder sort of how this varies in country, country to country. Like, I, I know you've talked about how sort of how MPs have responded to you, but I, I wonder what sort of the more cultural response to you in Sweden is. Hmm. Um, that's a difficult question. <laughs> I think in Sweden, the climate, because of the strikes, has definitely become more of a thing. Um, it's talked about more... I think in general doesn't necessarily mean that there's more action happening uh, that is needed but it's become more of a thing at least and that's something that's good um, people are aware of it um, sometimes people will recognize me at things uh, so I, I have a job I sell ice cream <laughs> at the shop <laughs> and sometimes I'm like oh you're the first future person I'm like yeah I am you're very welcome to join us and they're like oh you I look up to you so much like kind of thing and we're just like yeah okay yeah. Um, you can join us on Fridays, you know, we're there every week. And they're like, oh, really? And we're like, yeah, this time to this time, just come. And they're like, and then most of them, they don't. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of a, that kind of culture is like, a, oh, what you're doing is really cool. But me, myself, I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I don't have, I mean, I don't spend a lot of time with people who aren't in the movement these days, just because uh, the people I work with are the people I've gone to know the best. Uh, the people I do know from outside it, like, you know, from school and university, um, they're all, you know, really supportive and I think it's really cool, but again, it's not something that they want to do themselves. And I don't know, I think that's still, um, a cultural thing in Sweden. It's like, oh yeah, other people can do it. I, I don't have to, someone else will take care of it for me. Um, that's like a pretty Swedish attitude, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but at I the end know. of the day, it's also a lot of effort. I mean, we, we have to admit that it is effort. Like it may sound like uh for some people like not much but it mm. really is effort oh, to definitely. every single week to go, come out and like face the stairs for example a lot of people stare back and it can be really daunting like i remember my, my first climate strike holy fuck i was scared i was scared people would like laugh at me i was scared that people would come up to me or punch me or something i don't know <laughs> i was expecting everything and you know in the end it went pretty well but it's still a daunting thing for a lot of people mm -hmm. socially it's a daunting thing in terms of time as well mm -hmm. um yeah so, it's very yeah. time con consuming and you know a lot of people do look at you uh standing mm. out in the crowd is not <laughs> very normal in sweden i would like to say <laughs> um we're very conformed people i guess mm. like you know dark colors um you know go where you're going you don't stop and talk to people if you bump into someone it's a quick sorry or no sorry um <laughs> You know, keep Sounds walking. like England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope Norway but, won't be like that. I'm, I'm, I have no idea. I've never been to Norway. I, I need um, a bit more socializing. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it really depends. I mean, if you're in like um, uh, the same sphere, people will be really friendly. But if you're just on the streets and you don't know people, then you just kind of like get on with your business. Uh, so I've been at the strike once or twice by myself, um, depending on when it has oh, been. Really? And that's always absolutely terrifying. Um, I think in the week of future in September 2019, you know, between the 20th and 27th, when we had the big strikes, 
um, the really, really big ones. Uh, we striked all week and that some of the times I would be alone because striking for an entire week is a lot of work and not everyone can do it. And it's absolutely terrifying because, you know, these groups of, you know, teenage boys would come past and they'd start laughing at you and being like, hey, hey, it kind of sounds. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I know they're not actually going to do anything, but it feels absolutely terrifying and it's horrible. Yeah. Um, but thankfully in Stockholm, very rarely we're by ourselves is pretty much always someone else there which is nice um but yeah it must be so difficult and i know yeah. it is difficult for many of my friends in other cities and towns in sweden that are much smaller where it is only them uh so it is it is difficult to take a step especially if you don't know anyone to come mm -hmm. to a strike where people have been striking for several years together and mm -hmm. to try and you know get in so it's it's not easy yeah We've kind of been circling around this topic. It's like, um, what do you reckon, I guess, from your experience from when you were just getting into this, um, what would you recommend is the sort of first step for people to join this climate, uh, this you know, environmental awareness movement? And also, I guess, in particular, those who maybe aren't in big cities or um, maybe are quite busy, it's, it's like, yeah, it's it's sort of when, when there's not sort of a an actual protest going on, like right down the street, sort of how yeah. can you contribute to, to the movement? Yeah, I think especially now after COVID, everything is so much more online based. So getting into online activism, I think, is a pretty good window. A lot of the people active in Fridays Future Sweden now have joined during uh, the past year with uh, the pandemic. Um, and it has been first online and then has, you know, as the situation has gotten better here in Sweden, have been able to move outside. And then you've been able to, you know, put in the time and the effort that you have the time for or the energy for that you want. Um, so I guess the first step is figure out what kind of activism do you want to do? And then try to find a movement or an organization that works for that activism. And then, you know, try to find a way to get in contact with them or ask like, hey, how can I help? Um, and usually that, yeah, usually you can get in that way, hopefully. Um, not always, you know, organisations and movements aren't always the best at answering DMs or messages, but we try to get back to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest, it's also, it's unpaid work. So, you know, we'll, you know, yeah, it's understandable that, um, that these orgs don't always answer. Um, I was wondering how, what you, what your thoughts are about um, environmental education is something that, I've wondered a lot about is I, I feel like the climate education debate starts and ends in school. Like it, for me, every single time I see people talk about this topic, they talk about, oh, we need a class in such grade or such grade about global warming, about climate change, etc. But very little seems to be said about, you know, the other generations, like, for example, the I don't know, 43 year old mom who works at the local spa and who's not going to go to a fifth grade class on climate change tomorrow. How do we get her into our ranks when she sees on Facebook that, you know, that the climate activists want to shut down Sweden and <laughs> they're evil and blah, blah, blah. And like how, like there's so, so many people who need to get um, into kind of the, um, climate change camp let's say 
although I hate to divide into this team narrative, but it, it is like, at the end of the day, there is like an awareness that needs to be uh, gotten. How do we make sure, in your opinion, if that's something you've thought about, uh, adults in, into the game? Mm, I think that's a very tricky question. I mean, the people who are already against the climate movement, I don't think we need to focus on them. They're against the climate movement and it's going to be really difficult to convince them to like the climate movement or even support it. So I think focus on the people who are a little bit on the edge, uh, who kind of want to know more or a little bit aware, but don't know enough or really want to know enough. And I think just sending out information is so important. I know um, that the state is, you know, capable of doing that, you know, with uh, COVID and the pandemic they put out so much advertisement and boards and everywhere just like information just pushing information they could do that about the climate as well they really could like you know they can push like this is like that's part of the whole treat the crisis as a crisis they're treating mm -hmm. the pandemic as a crisis maybe not as much as it should have but they are at least treating it as some form of crisis while with the climate crisis they're just not they keep getting stuck in debates of do we have enough energy should we use nuclear power should we not use nuclear power and it's like that's not an important question right now you know <laughs> the question is like you know are you actually willing to take steps that are needed to stop this crisis and will you make and they're always like no we need the people on board and it's like, okay but the, do people know about the crisis no because you're not informing them that there is a crisis and that's you know where we need to get we need to get this information out to the general public in a way. And that could be via how they did it with the pandemic, or it could be through, um, in 2019, we were having lots of discussions with workers unions and they could, you know, fix up trainings at workplaces about the climate and how it is, uh, how it affects their jobs and how it will affect their jobs in the future, but how it affects people who have their jobs in other countries as well, right now mm -hmm. already. Um, and also in school, Maybe this wasn't the question, but I think no, no, when it comes to it. climate education in school, I don't think it should be like one subject that you have once. I think it should be woven mm -hmm. into all the different subjects. So it's like yeah. in social sciences and history, like, oh, talk about climate change. Because there is, I took um, a course called climate history at university, where basically it talks about the history of the climate and how it has changed throughout time. That should so be interwoven into normal history lessons. And mm -hmm. like, oh, during this time, say you're doing something about the ancient Romans or the ancient Greeks talk about how the climate affected their lives or if you're talking about the Vikings how did the climate affected their lives or the Middle Ages how the climate change of that time affected their lives and then mm. the industrial revolution what happened to the climate then you know how did that affect it you know coal suddenly started appearing into the air and that's when you know they first started realizing oh wait maybe extra carbon dioxide <laughs> does contribute <laughs> to climate change so like you treating know, it as a really like intersectional issue I mm -hmm. guess yeah uh so both like in history and in natural sciences but also social studies uh when you do look at different aspects uh i think it go for most things um really i think it's super important that we weave into that uh but also especially in countries like sweden where we do also do have an um, indigenous uh, people uh mm -hmm. in sweden we have the sami uh who live in Sápmi, who which is a large chunk of uh sweden or mm -hmm. it's a country that crosses over I really want to uh, talk about something actually yeah <laughs> that crosses over norway sweden finland and a bit of russia and mm -hmm. also i think you know it's really important to incorporate their knowledge into most people like you know they were here and they have been living in harmony 
with you know the nature here for like 10,000 years <laughs> mm-hmm. how long have we lived yeah. here and then it's all ruined you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah and, y- and you went to Sapmi recently didn't you what yeah, did you totally. see there so I went there with a few more activists and we learned from um, a guy who is Sami and works in one of the uh, uh, Sami villages, as it's called in Swedish, Samibia, which is like a community. And um, he was teaching us how the forests and what it means to them. So we went to the different plantations. We're basically we're learning about the Swedish forestry industry, which is a huge issue at the moment. It's a really big topic, especially mm-hmm. with the EU's new... Um, forest strategy that's becoming that came out last friday um so we're learning a lot about that at the moment and so we went up and we sat in one of these plantations that used to be an old growth forest or primary forest and he was telling us he's called henrik blind and he was telling us that um you know this used to be an area where reindeers would graze during the winter and now they can't because there's this monoculture of the contorta uh, pine. Yeah, contorta pine tree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, I just have all we'll, the words. We'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to get the information right if I'm telling people. Uh, so this used, and now it's this thing and there's, it's monoculture. So there's no other life. There's no food for the reindeer. They can't navigate properly because it's all, you know, grown in rows and it's industrially planted. So it's not naturally and they lose... Uh, the calves and they can't find anything it just loses so much uh so both uh the reindeer you know start to starve and the uh, reindeer herders have to buy food for them but also just this land has no biodiversity anymore and that's really harmful and forest industry seems like oh yeah we clear cut and make these plantations and we create carbon sinks that's not what's happening they say that you know this is a environmentally friendly forest industry it's not environmentally friendly. They're cutting down forests, like yeah. old forests that are super vital to biodiversity mm. and uh, the Sami people and their reindeer and the climate, and which releases lots of carbon dioxide, both from the actual cutting down because there's a lot of carbon stored in the ground. Um, but also so much of the trees get burnt. Um, so for example, uh, about 80% of the these pine trees that get cut down end up being classified as waste products and then it gets burnt for biomass which also yeah. leads to carbon dioxide and they're like oh it's fossil free fuel and I'm like yeah it's fossil free but it's not carbon free <laughs> it's just releases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere like yeah it's just like double whammy of uh, yeah. stupidity coming from from governments about like biomass being somehow clean when yeah it's just ignorance um and then they, you know, plant these new trees. And so like, oh, yeah, but these new trees, they suck up all that carbon again. And you're like, yeah, but it takes like 80 years for them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> 70, 80 years. And then they just chop them down again. And the whole process starts yeah. all over. Yeah, so that, exactly. that, tree, that bit of land is no longer a forest. It's a plantation. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and like, I, I saw this stat the other day about how most of our biomass is, uh, or like a huge portion at least, is is um boated in from the u.s and canada from north mm-hmm. uh, america so we're actually like cutting down trees in the u.s and canada putting them on a boat which already like that you know it's like a double uh it, there's the emissions of the cutting there's the emissions of the transport to the boat then there's the emissions of the boat from the boat to the the country and then 
you know then we still burn it there and we're like yeah but it's it's clean it's uh, it's not cold <laughs> and then yeah, yeah the, the you know yeah, the they call it renewable but like true. yeah it's not renewable if it takes like 80 years for a plantation to grow back imagine how long it takes yeah. for like an actual forest to grow back it takes ages yeah. um so yeah it's it's, yeah, it's, it's a mess yeah. and it's just so <laughs> harmful for, it's just so harmful both for the planet and for the people who are dependent on it um it, it's just not okay so yeah for sure for sure no it's it's super frustrating to see this kind of greenwashing i i'm ah <laughs> i can never can never get around that even when we we have our calls for uh, our our divestment um divestment project that we're doing with the, you know, our university like yeah we just keep seeing it, it's like the same idea just kind of morphing into different um different shapes like you know at first it's like oh yeah biomass is clean like it doesn't count as fossil fuels in our investments and then it kind of shape shifts into this like yeah okay it's oil and coal but it's only like 10 percent of the work that they do so it doesn't really count or like it's natural gas so it's okay <laughs> and and offsetting yeah like you said offsetting in general it just just doesn't it like i don't know it's not that complicated as you said to understand the of a new forest doesn't take up as much carbon and doesn't house as much biodiversity as an old growth forest like that's just logical and somehow they're trying to bamboozle all of us with, with this it's <laughs> yeah but at this point it's not even new forests that are growing back it's just monocultural plantations they can't even right. be classified as forests and that's one of the things that you know sweden like say like oh yeah we're 70 percent covered in forests it's like no we're 70 percent covered in trees right, right. Yeah. <laughs> there's lots of trees everywhere but it's not an actual forest we have so little actual old growth and primary forest left it's it's embarrassing like we have a smaller percentage of primary and old growth forests protected than brazil does in the amazon oh wow uh, that's embarrassing <laughs> and we try to tell you know bolsonaro and brazil like oh stop chopping stop deforestation and we're like doing it ourselves it, it, it yeah. but i guess that is something that a lot of the countries in europe are very very guilty of compared to the rest of the world like oh yeah we're so great you should stop mm. but we're going to import all your stuff anyway <laughs> yeah. do, do you feel any um like i i i feel like there's a lot of frustration building up as the years go on in activist circles and sometimes that kind of results in people like burning out or fatiguing or just kind of in general you know some some people do give up and it's a little bit sad to see but sometimes you know you can't blame them there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of not many wins a lot of l's and not many w's for sure but you know we can't take what we can get in a sense but um something that you know has been talked talked about in some circles more and more is is like what happens though if if things keep going like this, like, is there going to be a point where, you know, there's going to be the final straw that breaks the camel's back? Like what happens when, when the science, like the science is already telling us that's basically too late in, in uh, quotation marks, but what happens when like that, I feel reaches a kind of summit point if it hasn't already and where people's frustration reaches a summit point. That's something that I've been wondering a lot. Like how will activists handle that? I don't know. I think it really depends from activist to activist. Uh, I mean, for me, honestly, I've never had a lot of hope that the politicians will change or actually do anything. 
um and a lot of people talk about hope as being like oh yeah we have to keep hoping and it's like yeah but we also have to be realistic because if I keep hoping that you know this time this time then every time I'm going to get dejected so it's so much easier to be like okay they probably won't change they probably won't do this thing but I'm going to try my hardest to make them do it just in case because that's what we need um and maybe that's not the most positive way to look at it and it probably doesn't make it easier for everyone but for me it it kind of works it's like Mm -hmm. being realistic about the situation like yeah it's absolutely horrible like it's going to shit um that's (laughs) that's how it is like so many people I mean just this summer has been horrific just seeing so many people all over the world just being affected and you know people have been affected for so many years and it's just getting worse and worse and worse it feels like um but it also just kind of I don't know it just says like okay this is a real issue we need to keep fighting it because we can't just accept it we can't just give up and be like okay yeah people will drown in floods fine it's it's not fine we need to do something about it you know like we even if it seems hopeless and that the politicians won't cave and that they're going to continue prioritizing power and popularity and money or whatever over actual change that doesn't mean that we should stop um i think that means that it's just as important as ever to continue to push them and try to make them understand because you know at some point they will if it's too late by then maybe but at least they can try to do something then and often it Um, requires like them actually living through an experience like that like for example i'm sure that as horrendous as the the floods have been here in in belgium and and in our neighbors uh neighboring germany like as horrendous as those floods have been i do think that one positive outcome of that will be that people will see it and be like holy shit okay so like this kind of flood we've never had before. Why? And then, you know, the scientists come out and say, hey, well, it's maybe because the climate is changing. And, and you know, I, I think that when people experience these the effects of climate change themselves, that's when, I don't know, that's when minds are changed at least faster or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what's so unfortunate about it, that it needs to happen yeah. to someone close to you or to yourself to want to do something about it it should be enough that someone on the other side of the planet is experiencing consequences for your actions it's like sweden is such a big has such a big like historical impact uh with being a part of the eu and just our consumption habits in general that people being affected in china and in india and in bangladesh where we do import lots of stuff from them being affected by the climate crisis should be really important to us it shouldn't have to you know come to europe for us to think it's important but it 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 does for some reason and i can't wrap my head around that that's one of the main things i can't understand like people are suffering where does it matter where they are why does it have to matter Uh, and somehow the people who are the most responsible are the ones who are the least affected and they are the ones who have to feel it to do something but by the time they feel it I don't know. I just don't want to think about how many people who. Yeah. 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 No. No. That's a a, a dark a dark line of thought we're going yeah. down. <laughs> so, yeah. We we For really sure. need to continue to do as much as we can in the activism to get them to realize before then. <laughs> that yeah. What needs to happen. And for all for all the bad that we you know talk about, there are also like 
absolutely amazing things happening left and right and and just like a lot of good like from small you know um permaculture farms starting up everywhere to like more large-scale things like um i don't know like last year for example like something that almost got no coverage at all was um new caledonia which is like a, a french um a French territory, which uh, let's not even get into that, but <laughs> um, New Caledonia banned all single-use plastics uh, last year or two years ago, and it got nearly no, no, um, no coverage by by media whatsoever, or at least definitely not enough. And I just want to check the quickly the population of New Caledonia because I know it's not huge, you know, it's um, let's see, three hundred thousand people, but when you have people like saying. For example, oh no, we couldn't ban single-use plastics like here or there, but like we're not even trying it at like city levels or town levels when you know an island like this of three hundred thousand people can do it. So the fuck can we? <laughs> Why aren't we doing these things? You know, but but again, yeah, it, I think it's it's good to kind of look at the positives and and still stay pragmatic, like you have it seems. Um, so I definitely commend yeah. you for that. Um I think it's it's always healthy to sort of look at um, major progressive changes throughout history that have been uh, initiated by like popular movements. You know, it, it is possible to sort of radically change the the way a society functions. So you just got to keep pushing. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, none of us were expecting it to happen overnight. It would be nice. But yeah. <laughs> it was. climate change cancelled ended. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's it's particularly hard sometimes for activists, especially to to understand the idea of like we aren't there. Like it's very, very, very likely that we aren't the ones who will actually live through or or create the change. But what is very likely also is that we are going to be the ones who potentially inspire the people who inspire the people who then actually will succeed in that change. Like it's difficult to imagine it like that. But I think for me, that's how I see history and activism and history working is like these people often did things on their own without any help, without any support. And that kind of story helps someone else get motivated mm. and then and on and on is a rolling ball. Yeah, definitely. I think the climate movement is continuously building. I mean, the grounds were set decades ago by the people who first started demonstrating or advocating for the nature and the environment or anything. And we're just building upon that. And hopefully what we're doing will help build upon that and then let other yeah. people build upon that. Uh, hopefully it will be solved, you know, before <laughs> our lifetimes are over. Until we because, save you know, the world. <laughs> because like, I don't know, in like 50 years, like <laughs> if we're going like we're going now, it's not going to be great. Yeah. Um, even in like, you know, 10, 20 years if we're continuing now. Mm -hmm. So hopefully it will happen. It will have to happen in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, but if not, at least we can know that we've done something. But I also think something that's really important for us to remember that it's not all on us as an individual like mm -hmm. you can take a break everything is not going to crash and fall and it's not going to be your fault if things get worse kind of thing and I think a lot of us you know put that on ourselves like I know I need to justify myself to do a lot of things like oh I'm going to take a break I'm not going to do anything today and then I need to justify that to myself or oh I'm going to buy this thing and I need to justify that so <laughs> justify that to myself 
and I'd be like oh yeah I bought this mask but it's made for this band who's raising money for this thing and it's made from cutoffs from old t-shirts made by you know an ethical company uh and that's that's why I got it and it's like no I, I needed a mask and I found the best way for me to get it but I don't need to justify that if I want a mask because we're in a pandemic I can just get a mask and I don't have to feel guilty about it but instead I do and then I start to justify it to myself to myself and you know I, I shouldn't have to do that and that's something I'm working on <laughs> and I know it's something that you know a lot of activists should work on that you know it's not hanging on us to have to you know do all these things so yeah <laughs> yeah no for sure for sure that's that's a really tough um tough thing to realize and and to put into practice i think like i i don't know i i've also kind of <laughs> struggled with that for sure but i don't know i don't know what the answer is i feel like everyone needs to go through their own uh through their own motions you know mm -hmm. of the kind of different steps of of uh, climate awareness, whatever they may be, and I, I don't think all of them are in the same order. I don't think they all lead to the same place, but they all definitely progress. Like if you're if you do it uh, right, let's say they all progress towards uh, at least a a more like a better understanding of the intersectionality of of all of this and and of mm -hmm. of the individual versus society kind of differences and and all of that yeah um jamie any anything you want to uh end on i think we're gonna wrap it up uh, yeah i think i think uh, yeah <laughs> yeah any uh any tips uh isabel for potential um future strikers and future activists who who kind of want to see be the change that they they want to see yeah um join <laughs> i mean i mean uh <laughs> Take someone else that you know, ask uh, a friend or a cousin or another family member if they want to come with you and get in, try to get in contact with someone beforehand. So you might know someone who's going to be there already. Um, and then, you know, or maybe you join online first. Um, and, you know, ask questions. I think something that's really important is to ask questions when you don't understand something, because in these spaces, we get used to a certain kind of language. And that some things are just fact when it comes to the climate. And we don't realize like everyone doesn't know this. We get to a point where we forget that. So if you don't understand something, always ask. Learning never stops. I mean, I don't know close to everything that I need to know, but I know so much more than I did when I first started. When I first started, I hardly knew anything. So, you know, you'll get there. There's no stress and there's no worry to know that you don't know everything because that's fine. Not all of us do. We're all, you know. I'm not a teenager anymore, but most of us teenagers. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Isabel Axelson from the fantastic Fridays for Future Stockholm. Thank you so much for joining us. It's thank been you. a pleasure to to finally have you <laughs> on. <laughs> and um, and yeah, definitely all the best for for your studies for your thesis. Um, I think Jamie and I can both <laughs> agree that. Well, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's really it. It's good. You kind of get into a nice channel. Yeah. yeah well it, it's it's nice to have something at the end that you're like i made this and like i know this topic now <laughs> like yeah. it's, like i can now i can say that i can debate anyone on the impacts of greek austerity on the environment from 2010 to 2012 <laughs> that's like <laughs> but yeah Fantastic. thank you so much isabel yeah. for joining us Thanks.
There's no taste, no taste left in this case. Find all the strangers resting on my head.